Yeah, Boxeo is back in the building. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns from a lengthy break and is ready to bend at the knees and follow through with an uppercut of performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear. Excited to spread the good cheer of the holidays. I love you. I make you a As we return with a loaded show in the world of the sweet science, Big Bread will join me in a second to recap Sergey Kovalev's comeback victory over the weekend and preview Saturday's career finale featuring future Hall of Famer Miguel Cotto and look back on his great career. We will also sit down with the great Roy Jones Jr. Yes, you all must have forgot to chat about a number of topics that I'm sure will will leave you liking what you hear in this audio space. I like you. I like sex. It's nice. And if you do exit this episode with a smile on your face, do your part in spreading the word for the ITC. I know we have put out the call, so to speak, multiple times, asking you to head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And many of you already have. Uh, so, so for you, I'm not talking about you. Not you, not you, and not you. I'm talking to those who haven't taken the time to spend the 60 seconds that it takes to Make this audio consummation a reality. It would be much appreciated. Spread that word on social media using that hashtag in this corner. But enough of selling you crap you don't want. Let's give you someone you do. Without any further ado, it's time to welcome in my tag team partner, world-renowned writer, editor, Filipino television personality, author, and respecter of all things cruising, my man. When you box my way, I love it when we're cruising together. Cruising was made for Bob. Oh, Raphael Rafe Bartholomew, the Smokey Robinson edition to bring you in. It's been a, been a long time since we rock and rolled in these parts. It's it's very early on the West Coast. How is it, my man? I am very happy to be back, Brian. I heard cruising in a bar on Friday night this past weekend, and I tell you, people had no clue why. I mean, I I I go mildly crazy when I hear that song anytime, but it has taken on a great new meaning, a movement, a hashtag almost. Uh, respect was made for box, uh, and cruising was made for box. I think um, it's a revolution it that we're starting. You know, I mean, I also go crazy when I hear that symbol, like on a hi hat, like with a souped up <laughs> tempo. I don't know what you're leave, talking yeah, about. Yeah, just leave that off. <laughs> Sorry, just don't, don't touch it. Don't grab it. Rafe, uh, you know, it's been a few weeks of, it's quiet on the set for, for Box AO, but, um, you know, we're back. We, we had a, we had a decent fight card this weekend in New York City at the theater at Madison Square Garden. Your guy and my guy at times, at times he's our guy, Sergey Crusher Kovalev. Not my guy when he's putting out, uh, memes on social media that are a little bit sketchy, but my guy again when he's knocking fools out, Rafe. In prime time, Vyacheslav Shabransky, TKO round two. Rafe, was this the full circle comeback, or was that a storyline that was beaten too hard? Fresh off a pair of losses to Andre Ward, the second by knockout. Ward retires. People talking about Kovalev's never going to be the same. He looked the same on Saturday. 
Yeah, that's basically what uh, I'm as far as I'm willing to go with it. I thought he looked good and he looked the same. So if you were out there, you know, pushing that narrative that this guy is ruined, you know, the bully has been bullied and beaten and stopped. He will never be the same guy again. He looks pretty much like the same guy who was a world class fighter before he lost to Andre Ward, was a world class fighter while losing to Andre Ward. And, you know, we'll go on with his career and see what happens. Luckily, you know, and, and this was, I think, when they made it a a good comeback fight against a guy, you know, a decent a decent uh you know like back end top ten contender at at 175 uh and you know I, I believe they tried to get Sullivan Barrera first and and the money wasn't good enough for Barrera to get in there so you know under the circumstances it was good Kovalev looked good and you know and the good thing I think is now 175 has so much has this depth now with all these sort of rising uh Dimitri Bivol uh Alexander Vodzik type uh Eastern European fighters Barrera the the elusive Adonis Chickenson or Chicken-ish <laughs> as uh, he is uh, now uh, forever referred to in the, the Kovalev household. Um, you know, there are fights out there. So, you know, let's get it rolling. And and there's no sort of – and now now that Andre Ward is sort of out of – or has probably retired and doesn't seem to be coming back anytime soon – these guys, there's not a whole lot other than Adonis, who we don't know what he's up to. There's not a whole lot of reason these guys shouldn't be fighting each other. Nobody is that famous um, or none of these guys have that much to lose promotionally to not, you know, make the best fights with each other. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's, it's weird. We're leaving now. Now it feels like the, the division is busier and more fun th- than ever. And that's not a knock against Ward. It just feels like. Some other people rose at the right time. Bivol being one of them, you know, better beef's back. You, you better believe it. Uh, I thought we, yeah, he looked like the crusher of old. The combination punching was beautiful. He really worked off the jab that I liked. He was able to really regain a guy who works from distance and just punishes you. Now, obviously, Ward took that away from him because Ward's just next level, but there really aren't boxers on that level with that kind of toughness, that kind of mindset. Certainly Shabransky not on that level. Shabransky, decent body puncher, looked to do that, but as they said on the HBO broadcast, when you look to go low, you're going to be open for those big shots, and it was like target practice right from the beginning. We didn't get a chance to preview this card, Rafe, but I thought a lot of the, the mental journey that Kovalev supposedly went on just to get to this fight was interesting. Some of that was revealed for the first time in Greg Bishop's Sports Illustrated piece where Kovalev in Russia over the summer is, in his own words, hanging out with friends, not talking to Kathy Duva or Igus Klimas' manager that much, just driving around in a sports car getting loaded, basically forgetting the defeat to Ward, the, the, the emotional turmoil that comes with that kind of defeat. And then he crashes said car into the woods and is lucky to only have a busted nose from hitting his face on the steering wheel and has almost a spiritual reinvention, which led him to a Greek monastery, which is the storyline main events kept trying to push. Not a lot of people bit on it, but apparently it happened. And in that Greek monastery, Rafe, he decided to give up drinking and smoking cigarettes and all, you know, and maybe he will, he'll listen to a trainer again. And he went out and got an Uzbek trainer with an amateur background. And it looks like the the holes are fixed of where the water was pouring out. Is it really that easy, Rafe? Not that that's an easy equation, but but you you believe you buy all that? 
I would say that he is, uh, he's about 75% of the way to reaching full nirvana and, and enlightenment. Um, the things that are left for him to do are to renounce cockfighting. No more cockfighting, no more womanizing, no more billiards playing, and then he has to become a senator in the Philippines. Then he will reach the highest level of Scientology, Thetan, Pinoy power, Russianness. But then you lose um, your no, knockout I mean, power though. You lose your, you can't knock people out once you, once you That's, that's true. He'll never, he'll never Never knock another guy out after by maybe the way, knocking how, out Miguel Cotto. And how uh, dare you, by the way, uh, uh, insult uh, Mama D, Manny's mom, who will, who is currently, you know, putting a hex on you for that for those statements. You just, I mean, come yeah, on. Come I've, on. I've, I mean, you know, I mean like, uh, many, many, many uh, Aswang has made kulam on me, and I've, I'm still standing here, so you're we're serious? okay. You're serious. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's serious, people. But uh, I'm serious. Uh, you know, it's I, I like. I want to believe it. I want to believe that he woke up and said, "Look, I was just destroying people. I started running high and hard in my life. You know what I mean? Hang them and bang them, right? Vodka's being poured and all that good stuff. And maybe he wasn't listening to anyone, and clearly wasn't listening to JDJ, John David Jackson, and their war of words that followed was was sort of you know interesting to watch. Uh, if he focuses and in, in, in hunkers down, obviously he's a he's a boxer who can who can work from distance, can knock you out of there. If you get close, there's not a lot of Andre Ward's out there. I mean, I still think Adonis Stevenson, if they could ever make it happen, would be a fun fight because of the the quickness and the power of the 40 year old now Superman. But uh, yeah, he's going to be a destroyer in this division, and there's some fun fights to make. Boxing is boxing, though, Rafe. This was a title fight, so he was able to capture his WBL title that he gave up to Ward because Ward retired, gave him the three belts. Is this? I know, like we've seen worse guys get a title shot undeserved, but let's be honest here. Kovalev coming off two defeats, Shabransky coming off the last time we saw him against anybody good, he was stopped by Sullivan Barrera, and who was in the co-main event. And Shabransky's last two fights came against guys you have either never heard of or didn't have a winning record. And is this these guys are deserving of a title fight? I know somebody just retired, but you're telling me there's no playing bout between guys in the rankings that that are higher deserving than this. I understand the point. Um, I just I I have a hard time getting that upset about it. We spend all this time like sort of nonstop explaining that the belts in boxing are not meaningless, but also can be manipulated and are sometimes a joke. I wouldn't even put, I, I'd have to look, but I just, I can already think of a couple examples in this year of fights that were turned into title fights that seemed more ridiculous to me. How about Miguel Cotto, Yoshihiro Kamagai for a 154 pound belt? Um, you know, uh, the, 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 just the, the maneuvering of the WBC middleweight belt in and out of the Triple G Canelo fight because Canelo doesn't want it because he's feuding with the WBC. I mean, the, the belts are kind of ridiculous. Now, um, and, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, Brian or Internet, who is listening. Uh, I don't think that Kovalev Shabransky was made as a title fight. No, it was no. made as a comeback fight. And because Andre Ward announced his retirement in that interim, uh, the WBO said, well, let's give let's let's throw let's throw a belt back in there. And I don't think it's that. Cur- I mean, for the guy who had been the king of the division, who lost two competitive fights, one that he, you know, very debatably won, one where he was getting beat and probably on the way to losing, but had a, a not the most conclusive ending, in my opinion. Um, uh, but he was conclusively on the way to losing, I do believe. I'll give him that. Um, anyway, he's in those fights with Andre Ward. He was the guy. It makes sense to sort of have his, have him 
put a belt back on him or have him be near the top of the division. And I don't think that he goes back to the bottom of the top 10 after those losses. So it's just you know, so convenient, but that's boxing. We've seen much worse. I mean, I guess no need to, to hammer it home, but, uh, on the undercard in the co-main, the guy we mentioned, Sullivan Barrera, who had sent uh, Vyacheslav to hell recently, uh, had a win over a very uh, unorthodox Felix Barrera, a very emotional guy who was crying during the hand wrapping, crying on the way to the ring. And I loved watching him. He was like a clown in there, but effective at times, yet got like three points taken away for, for hitting to the crotch. But uh, anyway, the point is, Barrera promoted by main events. They wanted to make this the opponent originally. We always knew this was a guy they were going to try to put in there against Kovalev. Not a bad fight, if you ask me. Barrera's what? His only loss is to Andre Ward. Not a bad sent Joe Smith to hell. Not a bad fight if we can make this next. Sure. Um, you know, Barrera, I, to me, is one of these guys in the light heavyweight division who's solid, but I don't think I would, I don't think he's that great. I don't think he's never shown anything that really suggests he's going to beat a fighter like Sergey Kovalev. Now he's smart. He's, he's, you know, uh, he's, he's capable defensively. He, he knows how to work, you know, his jab and throw some combinations. He's not a bad fighter. Um, but he's not special. He's not, we've seen enough. We, you know, he just doesn't have another gear. So, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fight that he deserves because of the resume. He's kind of like this, one of these later Alvarez guys who's, who's still waiting to, for a fight with Adonis Stevenson. Uh, and Adonis Stevenson is having trouble. I would, I don't think he's going to have that much trouble beating Alvarez. Anyway, that's another issue. But, um, you know, they're these guys that have sort of fought all of the, the second tier contenders and beaten, basically beaten them all. Uh, so yeah, let him, let him get that. I don't think he's going to get much past it, but it's a good fight. So, so let's keep these things, keep it moving. And you know, Kovalev is, but 34. I mean, we're going to want to see him to, to, to move this quick. There's a lot of hungry names. He said after the fight, he's willing to fight any of them. Quick, uh, side note on the opener on the HBO card. My guy, Yuri Gamboa scored a very controversial decision over Jason Sosa, despite being dropped, despite having a point taken away for holding. Uh, yeah, it's washed Gamboa, Rafe, but, what I only bring this up uh, to defend my guy here is that everybody's saying, well, you know what? He was always kind of washed. You know what? You know what? I hate that debate. Was he always a little bit flawed because his, in, in almost on a Roy Jones type way, his physical gifts were so strong that he, that he could, he could be flawed and get away with it? Yes. But let's not revision his history. You want to make the PED argument against Gamboa? I, I'll, I might have to give you that. But let's not try to go back and say the guy never was. Now, come on. I'm with you. I mean, you go back and you also you look at his box rec, like his resume in those er, like in the the marination years leading up to the the, the grand fight with Juan Ma Lopez that never happened, or the Rios um, fight that never happened either. That too, he Gamboa cleaned out great fighters at that weight from like the last sort of the the generation before this one. I mean, he, the top of those divisions. Salido, he, I mean, you look Solis. at what he did to to Salido to. You know, Daniel Ponte de Leon, those guys had real wins and, and Salido is still out here giving people hell and Gamboa just worked them, had, you know, really, you know, made them expose most of those guys. And, um, you know, he, he, he was always chinny, uh, but he was good enough to protect the chin and fast enough and, and just outdid all these guys. Uh, and, and so that version of him was that guy. He has not ever since he tried to start moving up in weight, basically since the whole Rios disaster, um, it's been all downhill. 
Um, but it's, it's not been a, you know, it's not been a unmitigated disaster. You know, I mean, he's won a few fights and he just hasn't been exciting and he's been frustrating and all that stuff. But, you know, the bright side of this, whatever, if, whether you think he deserved that, that, that decision or, or not against Jason Sosa in a fight that, you know, uh, we're all kind of sad we watched in the first place. Um, I thought it was better. Uh, I thought it was more entertaining than people get a credit for because this version of Gamboa, he knows he's flawed, so he has to fight more. Look, ever since that Crawford fight in which you can't, Damn him! He went out on his shield. I mean, he brought it right. Won the yeah, first no, four that was. I think that was a, a genuinely great performance. I mean, he really got it all together. And now we've sort of seen the pattern with Terence Crawford that he does take time to feel people out. Uh, so, so maybe. Maybe in retrospect, you know, the way that Gamboa fought the first four rounds and I think swept the first four rounds against Crawford. And then hurt him uh, late. Is, then hurt him late, is, right? Yeah, and then hurt him late when he was, yeah. But the, I think that, I, I mean, I still think give, 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 give Gamboa a lot of credit for that because he was coming in way out of his, like, you know, uh, ideal weight range, uh, a, a against a guy much taller who is a, you know, a legit pound for pound top fighter, uh, and probably was already at that uh, time, even if we didn't quite know it yet. Um, you know, that was, that probably is going to be Gamboa's last, uh, you know, maybe not great, but near great performance. But the good thing about all this is, you know, he somehow kept his career alive. We can still, the, the dream is, you know what I'm talking about. The dream is not dead. You know what, tell me what this dream is. Finish this sentence for me, Brian. Gamboa Wanma, the marination lives, right? We thought Salito had ruined in that when he sent Wanma to hell twice, but that is still alive. Look, Gamboa is still a name, by the way. He got a win he didn't deserve, but wait, Jason, Jason Sosa got a draw he didn't deserve, by the way, against, uh, uh, what's our guy's name from, uh, from Jamaica? Nicholas Walters, Nicholas the Nicholas Walters. So, uh, Gamboa is going to be the B-side. He's going to have a name and people are going to send him to hell. It's probably the way it's going to end, Rafe. But you know what? He's fun to watch. I like the guy. Anyway, Rafe, before we throw it over to, to, to Roy and hear, uh, about his new project, Care about a lot of fun things. Uh, our guy, my guy, maybe your guy, Tyson Fury, was in the news a lot in the last few weeks, Rafe, okay? I mean, we love him on the show because he does really fun things like this. Baby, I just don't get it. Do you enjoy being heard? I know you smell the perfume, the makeup on your shirt. You don't believe these stories. You know that they're all lies. Bad as you want, stick around. But I just don't know why. Oh, my God. I mean, the, the dulcet tones that just come out of there. It's like, I could lay, I could lay you awake. I mean, I can go all day with this. But, Rafe, he released his hit list a couple weeks back on Instagram announcing once again that he's coming back. We already knew he was coming back. He said he was coming back. But once again, he announces a comeback, gave a hit list of basically every waking contender, ex including like Sam Peter. I mean, there was some washed treads on there that I'd like to see him against all those guys. And is hoping his promoter, Mick Hennessy said, or I'm sorry, his promoter, Frank Warren said, uh, to make a comeback fight in the spring and then fight a big one next fall. You know, Anthony Joshua obviously on that list. When Tony Bellew's rematch with David Hay fell apart, though, Tyson Fury jumped right on Instagram with another video saying, I'll fight you in May, Tony Bellew. Like, let's do this. There's a lot out there, Rafe. Uh, I think, though, there's one thing he posted on social media that got you even more excited than any of this news. Absolutely. I mean, it was he, – he, he, 
that dancing video, that dancing bear with like the crazy, uh, I don't even know what it was. The, uh, the, the, the old nineties dance music. I can't remember. It was some CC Peniston or some like <laughs> I'm every woman. I, well, the crazy thing about this, I, that with what I'm learning from the, the ongoing saga of Tyson Fury is that the British Irish traveler community apparently ha- has the same sort of musical backgrounds and tastes as, you know, the, uh, as the washed 30 something northeastern white american dude community where like everything he's singing and, and dancing to i'm like oh yeah that's my jam from back in the day yeah tyson um he's an know. old soul um, at 29 he's an old soul but we had the video of him dancing on instagram and then we had the video of him and ricky hat and shirtless right oh you, my see the, God. you see the belly on t fury right there yeah, I don't know how I don't know how he plans on getting back into shape, but he is on Instagram doing you know doing the mitts with guys in uh, in uh, is in Matthew Macklin's gym somewhere, right? Uh, but all you have one to, of the yeah, well, okay, so it's Fury signed with M- MTK Global, a management company headed by Matthew Macklin. That seemed to be a change in the you know another turn in the positive direction that this is serious. He's coming back. Um, he's been in the headline for other weird things too. Just uh, to 24 hours ago, he revealed that his husky voice cost him a chance to duet. With Lionel Richie, that's an interesting headline. But he was also Rafe uh, this past weekend at a one hundred dollars a head. That's that's pounds uh, dinner charity dinner in which he came in and declared, "I'm only here for the strippers." End quote. And then at the end of it, challenged Stone Cold Steve Austin to a match at WrestleMania 34. I mean, we, we could. This is like par for the course. The guy wears like Batman masks in public. Like we sh- we don't really have to say anything more than just putting that out there in the world, right? Absolutely. Well, you're the wrestling guy, Brian. But as far as I know, um, Stone Cold is not really active anymore, right? He's got no, some he's neck done. issues. He might not want to get in there with uh, with the Gypsy King. He's done. And Anthony Joshua was quoted just the other day and said Tyson Fury's got a bit of a screw loose. And all this is true. He makes the division more fun. <laughs> Anthony right? Joshua with the insight of the year there. Yeah, let's just get him back in there because, look, it makes everything more fun. I know the guy can do some racist things and things we don't like, and that does happen sometimes. But the guy makes Box AO more fun. Rafe, it's time. Time, guest of the week time, my man RJJ, very much looking forward to the chat with him about his new project, about what's going on in his career, and much, much more. Enjoy. Very pleased to welcome on the In This Corner podcast on CBS Sports, future Hall of Famer, one of the best analysts today on HBO Sports. We're talking to Roy Jones Jr., Roy, always, let me say, always a pleasure to get to talk boxing, to talk, you know, about what's going on in your life with you. What's happening, man? How's everything? Everything's really good, brother. Taking care of myself. You know how that goes. Uh, absolutely. We're talking to you today on behalf of Star Vision. Cool project you got going on here, an online training program that, that essentially allows anyone, right, beginner to expert, a chance to gain exclusive personal training with celebrity athletes like yourself, Jerry Rice, Robert Ory, Olympic champion Jordan Weber, on and on. Roy, tell us about this project and what drew you to this. Well, it's a beautiful project, and what drew me to this is that if so many other celebrities, as you see, that are on board with trying to help the world become better fit, we're always into doing things to better society. So in bettering society, we all came together and figured out ways to offer our expertise because we know that people realize or people have idolized our professional careers by the grace of God because that's what he gave us and blessed us with. And because people look up to those things, we like to give them a way to be able to tap into some of the things we did, um, to tap into some of our mindset, to get an opportunity to do some of our workouts. Uh, it's just a brilliant thing. So 
I would have loved to be able to do a Michael Jordan type of workout when he was in his prime working out or when he was at, at the end of his career even, had he showed me the things that he did to better his shadow or the things he did to work on his handles or anything like that. You know, anything that I saw, the great one that I thought, I thought was the greatest player ever, I would have loved to have watched him work out or be able to follow his workout plan just to see how it was, just for the experience because of me following his career for so long. You feel me? Oh, absolutely. And it's what's cool is, uh, you know, with technology making the world smaller, as we say, with things like social media, you know, we can get a 12 week training regimen here on, on starvision.com with you. It's like we can be, you know, John Pascal of, of the past couple of years. We can, we can, you know, look over and see you there, uh, uh, training with us. I mean, how cool is that potentially for, for fans of yours who, who want to, who have always wanted to sort of cross that barrier? To me, it doesn't get any better than that because not just the fan, but the everyday fan. You don't have to be a boxer. You don't have to be a male or a female. You don't have to be old or young. It doesn't matter who you are. You can get right on here and follow along with me and do some of the things that I did in my days, you know? You can follow along, get my tutelage, get my knowledge, get everything, my mindset. You can just get everything from me right here in this Star Vision program. So it's like it really doesn't get any better than that. Wow, Roy. And, and I wanted to follow up on that sort of from coming from like your end personally, what are some of the like, how, how does it feel like, you know, you're actually in there, uh, getting taught a few things by Roy Jones Jr. Like what, what, what sort of things make it specific to you? Like, well, how do you add your little touch to it? Are we gonna, are we gonna be like Jean Pascal learning the lyrics to y'all must have forgot alongside you? <laughs> you, you might do a little bit of that too because I do always have a little bit of that going on but it's like I teach you not only how to do it but why you do it that way and my mindset sometimes why as to why I was doing it that way at that particular time a lot of people can show you how to box but they can't teach you uh, or give you a full understanding of as to why you do this or why you don't do this I give you all of it I can explain to you what you're doing why you're doing it and why you shouldn't do it the other way Wow. And uh, I'm, I'm curious. A what, this is what I do for a living. I'm a commentator. I of course. And I tell you about how to feed them up. So, of course, I can give it to you. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> and, Roy, I mean, you know, at, at your absolute best as a fighter, you you fought in ways that, uh, you know, you you didn't really see anybody else do because I don't I don't know if anyone else could fight the way you were you were you were you know, you were you were in the ring. Um, do you teach, you know, in this in this thing, are you teaching a more sort of basic orthodox? thing or are you are or could someone really go in there and and at least be able to to shadow box and look a little bit like roy jones jr maybe not want to try it in a real fight but still i give, I give you both sides i give you the normal way and i give you the roy jones way i give you a little bit of all of it so i'll tell you hey this is how it normally goes but if you want to act like be like mike act like roy you can do it like this you know so i keep it real which i don't it's like my mindset is just you have to be creative. And where that creativity comes from is from uh, the one who created us, and that's God. So when you open your mind to be creative, he will bless you with what you need to help you be creative at that time. And that's what used to happen to me. So I can't necessarily give you that, yet I can give you the basic foundation that can lead you down that line so that whatever he does give you, you will be able to do it. Well, more information can be found on this program, starvision.com. That's S-T-A-R-V-I-Z-N. The same on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Roy, we mentioned your great rap career, and I mean, we got to hit this up right here. Yep. 
One more, one more. And Roy, I don't play that to be funny. I play that because of any pro athlete that has ever crossed over into hip hop and made a legitimate run. You get the most critical respect that people have called your music timeless. How serious did you yeah. did you take this endeavor to, to to sort of have that be the end product? Well, I took that very very seriously. And as a matter of fact, I'm working on volume two right now, Fighting Headbangers Volume Two, because that's how serious I take it. That's how much I loved it. And it's like God blessed me once again to be able to make timeless music. The music I made back then, you can listen to it right now today and still love it. People still listen to Can't Be Touching the Gym. People still listen to Y'all Must Have Forgot right now because a lot of people feel like that. You feel me? Mm-hmm. A lot of people feel like Y'all Must Have Forgot that when I was in high school, I was the man. You know, it's like a lot of people feel like that. Or I was the girl on the basketball team. A lot of people feel like that. So that y'all must have forgot what people don't understand about music and that I did understand is that Music is a way to help people express themselves who may not know how or who may not get the opportunity to. When you can give them something that they can relate to and they feel like they can express themselves the same way that you're expressing yourself, it gives them everything. That's what makes music beautiful. Absolutely. And another another part of your career, you know, sort of tying into the world of hip hop, Roy, I, I was actually watching it last night and I just had to ask you about it. Uh, that uh, that just uh, legendary ring walk you did at Radio City Hall before fighting David Telesco coming down with Redman and Method Man in the tuxedo. Uh, I mean, you know, they're singing Rock Wilder. Uh, where, where did, I mean, how did you come up with that one? And like, is that is that your favorite uh, of your ring walks in your career or, or, or do you have that another is- one? That is my favorite one of all time. But you got to be careful now. You're going to tell them too much of the truth. You're going to tell them where these other fighters learned that from. You understand me? That's what Roy Jones used to do. I had to take what Muhammad Ali gave me as a foundation and build upon that. And that was my building upon what Muhammad left me with. He left me with him doing his thing like that. So he said, for him, for me to make it, take advantage of what he did and to follow students as to what he did, I got to take what he did and make it better. Who could think of a better interest than Method Man and Red Man singing uh, Rottweiler and Whitney Houston saying God bless America before that? How do you get a better ring entrance than that? Somebody please tell me. <laughs> uh, there's there's no answer to that, right? Because <laughs> that was the best. I mean, that was the exactly. best we saw. Exactly. And listen, it don't get no better. It was so cold. It was so cold that HBO didn't even understand what was going on that night. Oh, yeah. Poor Larry Merchant was struggling. <laughs> they didn't even understand what was going on that night. Or they played it over their loud feet. They didn't understand how historical and how historically beautiful that night was. Now, Roy, that's you... How, that's, what they mean. Hey, that's what they mean when they say you before your time. I might mm-hmm. be before my time. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, so you, you were before your time on a lot of things you did in the ring. I, I mean, you're always a great trash talker. But as a showman, you I think you started a lot of the things we see today in all of combat sports with your ability to taunt and maybe dance in the middle of a fight. Was there any, anything that influenced you or, or in your mind, did you really start that movement? Yes. No. What influenced me was, like I said, our goals are to build on what the legends before us uh, set down. They build corner posts corner post for us to follow suit. When Muhammad Ali started out doing all the showboating and stuff he was doing, he meant for somebody to one day take that and take it to an even higher level because we got to keep raising that bar up. If you don't do that, then you're not doing, you're not showing appreciation for what they did for you because they did that for us to give us a leeway or a somewhat of a, a path to follow. 
if you don't go make this path longer or widen that path out more, then you're not doing nothing. So you can't just look at Ali and say, okay, he did that, so I'm going to do the same thing. No. You got to say, okay, that's what he did. Okay, so he means for me to take what he did and take it farther. I mean, you got to think about it. The first airplane probably only held one person, right? Now airplanes hold over 200 passengers. They didn't mean for us to stop at the first airplane. You got to take the first airplane and build on that. That's with everything in life. And people don't understand that. No, no, no question about it. And I like the shout out there to, to building on what Ali did and you were just taking it to different levels, but physically you were able to do that because you were able to do what others couldn't. So Roy, at your very peak, if we're talking from, for my money, 96 to 98, maybe you thought you were at a higher peak at a different time, but at your very peak when you were literally untouchable, what would have been the type of fighter that could have been your kryptonite if there was one? I'm sure you know your weaknesses as well as your strengths back then. What would it mm-hmm. have taken to beat in Prime Roy Jones? Uh, an army. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, it would have taken an army. The gun was coming leaping. In that rain, you couldn't have whooped them out too fast, too strong, too smart, too sharp, and too willing to risk my life to do it. He would have taken the army. Wow. Um, and I guess, you know, one thing we like to do on this show, we we talk to each other sort of sometimes about these <clears throat> sort of mythical matchups of, of, you know, current fighters versus guys who are a generation ahead of them or behind or whatever. I, and uh, I don't want to say nothing bad about, I don't want to say nothing bad about nobody, but it's mm-hmm. something this. No other fighter ever turned pro as a junior middleweight, 154 pounds, and went on to become the heavyweight champion of the world. When you find a guy that does that, then we'll talk about my next opponent, all right? <laughs> <laughs> That's no disrespect to nobody. That's not taking or giving credit away from nobody. I'm just saying... I don't really, that's not an argument that I should be able to allow it to have because I'm the only man to ever turn professional at 154 pounds and go on to become the heavyweight champion of the world. It ain't really nothing to discuss. When you find a man that do that, then you sit, got somebody that we can sit down and talk about. <laughs> Until we find somebody that do that, I can't talk about the rest of them. I'm just going to keep it real with you. You said it, man. It's just like, um, how, it's just like, how, it's just like how they don't want to give me credit for being the best crossover athlete with music. No other athlete crossed over and had timeless music. What other athlete you see cross over and make a rap album and have a song or two or three songs that still gets played today? <laughs> Again, true, true. So, uh, so I don't like to toot my own horn, but sometimes you have to blow it just to let them know, hey, y'all forgetting about it over here now. Hold on. Let's back up. Y'all, y'all got a muscle in y'all hand over here that y'all are ignoring. <laughs> he still oh, got absolutely. it, Rick. He still got it. Come on, he still got absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, and that kind of brings me. There's um. There's there's so there's been a debate going on sort of in boxing because you look at the number of fighters and and we don't know for sure if if you're gonna decide to fight a fight on or not. But you know if if the fight you had against Bobby Gunn earlier this year ends up being your last, the Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, ballot in 2000, you know, 2022 is going to have so many great fighters on it. Uh, and I'm curious if they can only allow five in who, assuming you're getting in there. Cause on my ballot, you're at the top of it almost, you know, any year. I really don't care. Um, you know, who, if you're on a ballot with fighters like Vladimir Klitschko, Floyd Mayweather, yourself, uh, Andre Ward, Miguel Cotto, Juan Manuel Marquez and Tim Bradley, which could happen if all of you guys do end up, you know, concluding your careers this year. Who are the four other guys going in with you? 
Uh, I know, put all five of me and just take me off. Don't worry about me. I'll survive <laughs> another way. You feel me? Don't worry about yeah. me. I ain't got to go in the Hall of Fame. It don't really matter to me. Along in the, in the fame of God, what God knows what I did, what, what I was supposed to do, what he gave me, I'm happy as anybody. So I don't necessarily have to go in the Hall of Fame. I'm trying to put those guys in because it probably mean more to them than it would me anyway. <laughs> All right, Roy. Me as as a fan of Roy Jones, my Hall of Fame fan moment was August seventh, nineteen ninety seven, the Montel Griffin rematch. I think you gave the greatest <laughs> post match interview of all time. I want to just play a tiny snippet. I didn't want to have to do all this. Right. Why didn't you want to have to do this? Because I don't like trying to hurt people. You no, know? not I was out here trying to hurt that kid. If I would have got a chance, I would have killed that kid by mistake. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want to do that. That's not my intention. My intention is to come out here and do good things and be done with. That's why I don't like that old Roy Jones. You don't want to pull the all right, Roy Jones, I used to talk about this RJ character that you mentioned like he was a mythical creature, like bring your best fighter because if Roy decides to be RJ again, nobody's beating this guy. Were you ever in your career RJ another time, or, or if you weren't, why? Tell us about this dark guy you reached down into for the Griffin rematch. Well, the problem with that was is that that person, that's a person that don't care about life, don't care about living. That's a, that's a very lonely person. And I haven't been that person for a long time because as a kid, that's who I used to have to be. I used to have to be the RJ. I used to have to hide to myself. I had nothing but myself and God, nothing else. And when I got to that place, it's like and when I'm at that point, you got to kill me. So it's like I don't ever want to be that person because we don't have to live life like that today. You feel me? It's like taking a, a guy that you train like a naval seal, train him to kill and teach him to kill, then put him in society and say, okay, go be normal. He has to make an adjustment and try to learn to be normal. He can't be that Navy SEAL no more because if he does, he'll be walking around trying to figure out how to kill people. And every time somebody gets him upset, he's going to try to kill. So you can't do that. So I try to stay away from that person because I did learn that at a young age, but I had to stop it because if I do that, then I become a person that I really don't want to be. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, no question about it. That guy, though. I was never, I was never that mean as a person for real, which is that after being robbed of a gold medal in the Olympics, and then they still, to this day, haven't fixed that and given my medal back when he went and they gave him my belt. I was not cool with that at all, but I wouldn't have got so angry had he not went and started talking crazy about coming to Pensacola and driving his car down my streets and celebrating my hometown. Now you're going too far. So now you're basically telling me that you really you want me to kill you. So it's like that night, because I know you done quit on me already, and then you're going to talk like you beat me. Now you have really crossed the line. That's just complete disrespect to me. So now when I come in there, I don't want to be that way. And I was trying to tell myself, no, don't do that. Just box and be smart. But as soon as that bell rang, it was saying, you know, he's going to kill me. I'm going to kill him. And I know he can't kill me. So he's in trouble. And that's just how I felt. I almost thought you were that guy once more, though. In the first Tarver fight, when you were weight drained from cutting all that muscle, from going up to beat John Ruiz, I felt like you had a dig to a deep, deep level that maybe people looking back don't give you credit for. And to be honest with you, I was. You're exactly right. Because at, that, at round eight, I came to the corner. I said, you know what? If you keep going, you're going to die. And when I sat down, I sat down with the intention to stop. And God was like, well, if you want to win, then sometimes you got to go near death to win. <clears throat> so if you want to win, get your behind up and let's go. I got, because my coach was in the middle of conversation, I said, get my mouthpiece. He gave my mouthpiece, I got up, and went out there and dug down, like you said, and finished the fight. But I had to. But that's what makes me the person that I am today. There are so many fighters that do well when they're on top, 
but you never know what they'll do if they ever put in that adverse situation. And that's what makes a true world champion, a true pound-for-pound, all-time Hall of Famer type of a boxing athlete. When you see a guy go through that, like Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier had spent two or three days in the hospital, now you know you got yourself a real, true warrior. Until you see that, you don't know what you got. Because everybody can talk when they're on top. But let's see you talk when you're not on top or when you're not when you when you when you're down, when the odds are against you like they were in me against me in that first title fight. Let's see you bounce back and do it then. You feel me? That's what makes me the best. That's why this star vision thing is so good because you get to go figure out how it feels to be with the best. Not the rest, but the best. Uh, man, that's powerful stuff. I mean, that's you know, that's that's stuff that, you know, really only only fighters like you guys you know, have lived and can really, you know, we can, from the outside, we can imagine it, but you guys, you know, know how it feels. Well, we did it. That's for true. Um, <clears throat> I want to move a little bit into sort of what's going on in boxing these days. Um, and, and, uh, you know, HBO has, you know, Miguel Cotto's retirement farewell fight against Saddam Ali coming up on Saturday. Um, uh, what Roy, are you going to be on the broadcast team this weekend? And, and, uh, you know, how does that fight look to you? All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to it then. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too, and I will be on the broadcast team. And you know what? That's a good fight because Sadal Ali is a good enough boxer that if you don't watch it, he can beat you. But I think Cotto is a stronger puncher, and this will be his first time Saddam moving up to 54, I think. So with him moving up in weight, I don't know that his punching power will be any any um, threat to Cotto, but Cotto's punching power will be a threat to him. So we'll have to see this. To me, this will be a new Saddam Ali that we haven't seen yet, and the old Cotto. So... We'll have to see who prevails. I think Cotto will be fine because Cotto has the devastating left hook, and I think he'll have to land that in order to be victorious because I don't think he'll beat Saddam in a decision. I think he'll have to take Saddam out, but it'll be a good last fight for him. I tell you this much, as much as I love Miguel Cotto and love his career, I'm just glad that he's fighting this guy who's coming up to his weight, a smaller guy like him, and not fighting the winner or the loser of the Triple G Canelo fight because those guys are too big for him. And I didn't want to see him go out and fight one of them at the end. Uh, that's, that's very fair. Uh, uh, Roy, one brother to another brother, you know. Absolutely. We're one week away after Cotto's uh, swan song from the Super Bowl of the lower weight classes. Vasily Lomachenko, Guillermo Rigondeau in New York City. This is like pound for pound versus pound for pound, like top-level elites. Roy, the only question that people have to have when they make their prediction for this fight is how much Rigondeaux moving up two weight divisions will affect him in there. How do you see that being a factor? When you got almost a thousand amateur fights between them, <laughs> weight shouldn't be a factor at all. Um, and I'm going to say why I don't think weight is a factor. Rigondeaux punched so hard that he's broken two guys' eye sockets. Alright? Rigondeaux has broken two eye sockets. Two. Two. Let's get this right. Two eye sockets. And the jaw in the last fight, too. Do you know how powerful you got to be to be breaking eye sockets and jaws? He done broke two two eye sockets and one jaw. So do you think punching weight class means a difference? I gave a guy 30 pounds. I was basically 200 pounds, and John Reese was basically 226 pounds. Do you think my punching power did not affect him at all? Yes, it did. So when you got punching power, weight ain't necessarily the issue. It's about strategy. Who's going to be smart enough to strategically outmaneuver the other person? And who can put their best punches on in the, in the best places? It's not about the weight class. So the weight class won't bother Rigondeaux at all, I don't think. And to, to be honest with you, the other reason I don't think it'll bother Rigondeaux is because unlike Salida, 
Uh, Lomachenko is not a boring type of guy. He's a straight-up boxer, technician. He would not be able to push you around and maul you and get in close and push you. No, he's not doing that. He's strictly trying to put them hands on you. So that's the only way weight would have made a difference. If somebody was a brawler and somebody was trying to be a boxer, then you're right. The guy who's big, bigger, the bigger statue guy would be the guy who had the weight advantage. But when you got two guys that are just trying to tear each other's head off, weight is not a factor. They're not pushing and mauling. They're trying to take the other guy's head off. And by the way, I hate to say it, but I got to be honest with you when I tell you, like I call it, to me, on paper, this is the best professional fight that's ever been made. You got wow. two guys who have two gold medals. We have a hard time getting one guy and one <laughs> other guy with a gold medal in the ring. We got two guys on paper with two gold medals. Almost a thousand amateur fights between them and probably a handful. You probably can count on one or two hands the losses between it. <laughs> that is incredible. Excellent breakdown, as always. Roy, just that's a, a, just that's a that's joy to chat. Hey, that's some star vision type stuff. That's what I'm talking about. It's a joy to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. You can, if you are, if you're out there listening to this podcast, you want to get more of that wisdom from the great Roy Jones, go to starvision.com, S-T-A-R-V-I-Z-N. Roy, thank you for the time. And still, by the way, Mr. Unstoppable. All right. It's still real to me, damn it. Thank you guys for having me. Oh man, Rafe. Roy Jones Jr., you you must have forgot slinging some hot fire. How do you even begin to digest that? Everything Roy does is just turns to gold for me. He's you know, he's he's just someone who one of these guys who you love you love hearing cuz cuz the stories that come out, the way he expresses himself, the way, you know, the 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 confidence mixed with the sort of the old wisdom in there, the everything he's seen. I it's I I could he's just one of these guys where I you just wind it up and let it go and I I just let it flow over me. It's just great. Just like have an audio recording of his entire day, right? And all the conversations he has, like that'd be like a like a That's the star vision I would pay for. I just have like like if if Roy if I could get like one of the and I'm not really that technologically inclined, but I if I were to get one of these amazon things that just talks to me all and i just talk to and it talks back to me and it, and you know i buy stuff from it or whatever it turns on my tv it's like the the clapper for yuppies um you know i would want my alexa to be roy you know i'm like roy you know and, and then you know it talks some talks some some smack back to me tells me i must have forgot you know then then tells me how to get through my day um that that is something i would pay for i want to ask you about this star vision brian who what boxers would be maybe the worst to have lead you through a workout? <laughs> oh, might wow. be our guy Tyson Fury, who you know it might like. You, that... you, you're not you're not getting a lot of confidence when he shows up on the screen, well, you know, dickling on you. So okay, so to answer your question, it might be that caveman Adam Konaki, the guy that that took uh, Arthur Speaker to hell. <laughs> I mean, that guy just coming in with his head down. But like, I'd almost rather Tyson Fury be a part of this because like this is an idea. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. You, there's an eight ninety five a month subscription cost. There's an upsell for higher packages but is this basically the future of this program just paying to like slide in the dms of your favorite athlete and talk to them over uh over facetime is this what it is because if tyson fury's doing that rafe i may buy in just to get him on the show i mean come on that's true that's true i mean like at least you, you may not be uh it may not fill you with confidence to see tyson fury on the other end of the screen telling you what to do however um Karaoke you know, it would be him? great whenever you get to talk to him oh doing this okay gypsy boys Hold on the Irish crew. Hey, hey, hey. Here we go. Right. 
Uh, yeah, that's very interesting, Rafe. I, I think I would consider buying in if they add more clientele to that. If they, you know, if we can get maybe smoke fake weed with with Floyd, maybe he goes to maybe you know maybe there's an up upscale upcharge on that. Anyway, enough of that ridiculousness. Shout out to Roy Jones for for joining the program and just reminding us that uh, you know he's the greatest rapper alive, Rafe. Timeless, timeless. He's the greatest pound for pound boxer. The thing is, though, we did, and you ran, we ran out of time talking to him. We could have gone a million directions. He's the ultimate argument, though, on that whole the whole best night of his life theory. I always have that argument about oh, Riddick Bowe. Yeah. Give me Riddick Bowe on the best night of his life in the first Holyfield fight. Tell me another heavyweight that you can guarantee will beat him. It's that same thing with Roy from like 160 to 175. Like, really, pick another guy from 60 to 75 that on Roy's best night he can't beat. Well, and it's not just – I mean, on Roy's best night makes it sound like he wasn't yeah, good that good for, for years, you know, for mo- most of his career. Um, you know, and, and while I agree with you that he is the ultimate on his best night guy for me too, um, he was the, he was close to that best night for, you know, his most of his prime, right? I mean, he was – he was just – you couldn't beat him until, you know, until later in his career when when there was the – you know, whether it was the heavyweight, whether he was just getting old. Old, who knows? But that Roy, shoot, that was that best night lasted a long time. I just really wish, in hindsight, we could have gotten that RJ, that dark character that he mentioned, the the guy who doesn't care about life. If we could have got him more often, if we could have got him, Rafe, as as a heavyweight with that speed, we may have been talking about like like the next coming of Tyson, and in in the fact that you know how Tyson took over, he was the biggest star in sports. He was the one of the biggest stars in pop culture, like Roy would have been on that level if he was, if he allowed himself to become RJ more often. Is that just a myth or could that have been a thing? I mean, you look at what he did to Griffin in one round. Sure. I mean, is, are we sort of imagining that he, that he was, that Roy had a bigger frame and would have been more natural at heavyweight? No, I'm saying the same guy if he had a mentality. Now it's the mentality when he walked in there feeling like he was robbed in the Griffin rematch and just turned into a beast and just got him out of there and was ready to eat his children basically. If that guy was that guy in every one of those fights, he wouldn't have had to come in in a suit with Red Man rapping. He wouldn't have had to put his hands behind the back and do that thing against Glenn Kelly, right? Well, I he don't know been... if I really want to trade that. I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to trade those. It's a good point, though. <laughs> but like, it seemed like if he didn't get people out of there in the first round, Rafe, a lot of it those fights, be, yeah. it was he would carry them to the seventh or eighth and then eventually finish them. What if he had the Tyson mentality of using mm-hmm. that speed to go in there and get fools out of there? Could we have had like? I mean, that's kind of what. Hamed did with a lot of the Roy Jones type of, you know, fanfare to go with him in the, in the, I mean, I'm just saying, but look, we're not here to talk about Roy Jones's career, Rafe. We're here to talk about Miguel Cotto's career. You know the guy I'm talking about. Mr. Nuts. <laughs> That's the guy, Rafe, Saturday night, HBO, Madison Square Garden, a fitting venue, right? Cotto's going to call it a career with a junior middleweight bout against a moving up Saddam Ali defending Kodo's WBO super welterweight junior middleweight title that he won in that vacant fight against Yoshihiro Kamagai a few months back. Rafe, this fight isn't so much about Kodo versus Ali. It's just so much about everyone like us as a chance to talk about our favorite Kodo moments and talk about his career and his legacy and what that all means. Before we get there, let's just talk about Kodo Ali for a second. 
we've we've talked the last time we did the show. The fight not really moving us. What are we? What's it actually going to look like though Saturday night? Look, I think that I I think that Ali could come. You know, I think that Ali will be credible in this fight, unless unless it turns out that he is just totally overmatched in terms of power and strength. But like he can box. He's not a dope in there. You know, he has looked good in the past. He's he, he's he he's pretty quick. You know, he's got the tools to make this a real fight. Um, I don't, you know, it, it, there, there's a chance that he, he gets, you know, he gets, he just goes in there and gets bombed out, uh, because we've seen Cotto do that to, to lesser guys, you know, whether from, from Delvin Rodriguez and, you know, Wash Daniel Gill, you know, if you don't have the chin or you're not really in it, you know, for, to, to stand, to be able to take what, what, uh, Cotto is, you know, throwing at you, then it could be a short night, but this guy, you know, I, I I'm hopeful and I, and I'm not, I hope I'm not just, you know, BSing myself, but I'm hopeful that, that he can make this a real fight. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. If Cotto is like slower than we thought, if, if he comes in there a little bit washed, if maybe he didn't take this matchup as seriously as he needed to, Ali has the speed, especially moving up in weight, to make it an interesting sort of chess match. That's probably the best case scenario where you're like, okay, Miguel's going to have to go back to the left hook and it's going to come down to whether Ali can dance for 12 rounds and give Miguel enough pepper on that stake to keep him honest or is Cotto going to have to bring that pain and try to stop him? There, there is potential for entertainment. There's no question. But if Miguel comes in fully jacked up and ready, how do you have expectations that this is going to be a great fight when Ali got sent to hell by Jesse Vargas and he's, you know, welterweight moving up? It, it just gets hard. I know Ali's probably not as bad as that one moment when Vargas knocked him out, right? He's also probably not as good as we thought he was when he beat uh, Abregu that time on the Kovalev Hopkins undercard when Abregu ended up looking like a zombie of himself and Ali looked great in getting him out of there. So trying to find that middle ground of who Ali actually is, it's just... I know we beat the dead horse. This is a disappointing career finale when you consider the potential names on board. And maybe Roy's right. Maybe we shouldn't ask Cotto to beat, to, to face the winner of Canelo Triple G, right? And there was no winner and he wasn't going to face the winner anyway. Unless maybe it was Canelo, maybe they wanted to do that. Whatever. I get that. But there was a middle ground potential for other names. This just feels like, how do I get excited about this when it's a guy moving yeah. up? No, I, and it's you're you're exactly right. Like I I even defended this a little bit when it was made, saying, "Look, it's not that bad. Ali is a, is a decent fighter, and and I you know that that I, like they're even back then, and as now, I think there's a chance this turns into a good boxing match. Um, but now that it's coming up, I you know I feel the the air is sort of coming out of my balloon, you know, I guess, or the blood is coming out of my um my head. Uh, um, you know, I, is I just a, is that a gross <laughs> reference? What is going on right there? <laughs> You know, I I couldn't figure out a way to save that one. Um, But anyway, um, yeah, as the fight approaches, it is it it is the the letdown feeling. It just gets stronger and stronger, and you're just kind of like, ah. I mean, how much do I even want to watch this fight? I don't like. It's 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 hard to care about. Um, Wow, I I I just personally brought you from yeah, this could be a good fight to like, why am I even doing this? Why am I putting? Well, I I mean, like analytically, I think it could be a good fight, but but I also don't care about seeing it. Um, uh, which is a weird which is a weird space to inhabit. Um, but. You know what? What can you do? I mean, the the the, the fight that what I would have loved is I I I do prefer it to making him fight Triple G or Canelo. That's just crazy at this point. We've seen that he's not big enough, um, and it would and that that that's worse in my opinion. There were some middle ground guys out there. The what the the fight that would have been the great career capstone for both of them if they had been able to figure it out was Juan Manuel Marquez yeah. in the comeback against Cotto. 
Like maybe even Tim Bradley, if he were around someone, yeah. you know, if they like if you had a name that had been in those fights and you could you could you could make it seem like, you know, they're, they're, this is it. They're both fighting for their glory. You know, see you later. But they're both that all, all those guys still are good. I guess that's what we have to ask ourselves. If it's not going to be a, a real challenge and he doesn't have to do that, he doesn't owe us that he doesn't owe us triple G, whatever. If it's not going to be big event. an old guy fight or a Tim Bradley big event, then what's the difference between this or? In Austin Trout rematch. But I say the difference is a storyline at the very least, right? You know, Trout's established at this division. I know, like, that that's not, like, the go-to. If it's not Trout, it's, you know, it's going to stink. But I'm saying, like, there were probably other options that are in this category that were a little better. Whatever. Golden Boy's trying to get some cash on the way out by signing Cotto. Uh, before we get into why we love him, what he stands for, what his career meant, do you think that he is a suspect to come back in the next Two to three years, considering what is he at this exact moment? He's thirty. He's thirty-seven. Yeah, he just he's had a long 37. career. Ah, you know, I normally I'm I'm at worst a year off in in knowing someone's age. I was going to say thirty-five. He's thirty-seven. He just turned thirty-seven. In the next two to three years, Rafe, if he gets that chance at now, Marquez would be too old. But a Marquez-like old guy fight, big money against a smaller opponent. Is he suspect for that in your eyes? Um, I, you know, it's possible. Yeah. Look, he, if they can put together some huge event where they with like a payday, you can't say no to, I could see it happening. Like Manny next um, year at 150. Yeah. Or something, right? There are those, there, there are those weird sort of, there are some big name guys, you know, there are a lot of big name guys who have either retired or, you know, and might come back for uh, the right fight or are close to retirement. Um, and, and they all make sense with each other as like a, a real farewell is like one last Big event, hurrah. Whether it's Manny, you could get Bradley back in that. I don't Bradley hasn't been in a ring for, for how long. Um, but you know, there are a bunch of these guys out there that, yeah, maybe it makes sense. But then you're talking about not just Kodo, you're talking about you got to get someone else to come back or, or consider Kodo as their last fight. Um, so there's a lot of, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't think it's going to happen, but that's the situation in which it, it, I could see it happening. You're forgetting a name. Dude, this is nuts. I mean, come on, you know, you're, you're forgetting a guy. I don't know. I, look, I mean, that I mean, makes he, he me wants, very happy. He's got another name in mind. Mayweather, you owe me, dog. Come on. Let's give people what they want, bro. I mean, you know, Floyd, Floyd owes him that, dog. But. I don't think V, unfortunately, as much as I love VO, I don't think he's credible enough to get a Cotto fight, nor is he, nor, nor, nor is he bringing enough money in, you know, for, for that to be worth, uh, Cotto coming out of retirement. That's, that's all a good point. Let's get back to the, on the serious train for a second. Cotto has a great career. Yes, he's a surefire Hall of Famer, but it's such an interesting career, Rafe. I think the best thing I can say about him, outside of being a multi-division champion, all that stuff, is in this era uh, where big money pay-per-view was was the only thing that mattered in the last you know, 10, 15 years in boxing, he's the the premier B-side of this era. And, the, and it's a compliment, right? The A-sides of this era were like Floyd and Manny, Although Cotto could carry himself on small pay-per-views, he, he's the guy that was the prime B-side guy for Floyd, Manny, and Canelo Alvarez. And he's ultimately reached that star level where he was always basically the third biggest star at all times. I say that as a compliment to him. That's where he reached that. He's a Hall of Fame level guy. He's going to get in, no doubt, sure fire. But he also really became a viable attraction. And I give him my respect on that. Yeah, I mean, he was... Uh... 
he was one of the biggest stars in the sport. Like for years, you would be like, you know, he would, even though he didn't command the numbers of Mayweather and Pacquiao, you know, you would still go. You would. He was always the next name you mentioned. I mean, he did like a million and a half with Floyd. The one with Manny was was pretty close to that. You know, he did uh, just short of a of a million with Canelo when nobody was doing those numbers. So you give him that credit, but ultimately, he's a a blood and guts guy who could box and could could do what he needed to do in certain fights to be competitive. The thing that's odd, though, about how we remember him and his resume, though, Rafe, is just a couple years ago, there was that sort of hipster argument to make that this guy's not actually a Hall of Famer. Like, he'll get in because he's popular, but has he really earned it when you consider how many of those marquee fights that we mentioned he did come up empty in? Now, him fully recovering that had a lot to do with him moving up in middleweight knocking out Sergio Martinez and adding that sort of can you know icing on the cake that you're like all right I can't even be a, a cranky hipster here like you got to put him in uh, what do we do with that though what do we do with that in the fact that moving up to middleweight beat an injured champion didn't necessarily like defend against top guys like beat up Wash Gill and maybe Rafe and I'm not accusing anybody of anything I'm not dying on that sword but we lived through the steroid era in baseball, and there were times we looked back and said we should have saw that coming, and we should have talked. And certainly in boxing, a lot of people look back at the Juan Manuel Marquez at welterweight and say, I don't know if that's on the up and up. Sometimes I wonder that about the middleweight Cotto. I don't know if that's on the up and up. Does all that combine to say that even as a first ballot Hall of Famer and an all-time great, he's a little bit overrated? I don't know. He, it, it's, it's, he, people go both ways. He is sort of polarizing in that way. So there, there are people who overrate him. There are people who underrate him. There are, you know, I mean, we saw uh, guys we respect, like, you know, the great, you know, AA Adam Abramowitz on Twitter, Saturday Night Boxing, talking about, you know, Tim Bradley who had a better career. Um, I, I, that, that feels like a stretch to me. Um, and, um, it's so so he gets you know he gets it from Cotto gets it from both ways for me whoa, you talk whoa, about the second whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I mean I, just, I didn't ask for just, that he he gets it from all angles um wow it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah yeah all right, there all right are you serious Brian are you serious um stop look that crap. stop it stop it <laughs> look what I'm trying to say uh is that Miguel Cotto. He, to, to me, I, he, I think that his Hall of Fame case and career comes from the early part of his career. The, the, the runs at 140 yes. and, and uh, at 147 up until he got to fight, you know, up until the Margarito fight, which sort of turns the whole thing on its head. And you don't really know what, I mean, his, how you want to evaluate that second half of his career is, is such a, 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 a strange question because we haven't seen really any fighter go through quite what he went through so, where no doubt. you don't, you know, I mean, there's a strong suspicion. And, and I think that anyone who wants to assume that Margarito was fighting with the loaded gloves in that fight is, I, I don't, I don't take that away from anyone who wants to assume that even though it, it still, you know, can't be proven. Well, I'm going to um, get to Margarito. Despite, despite what we have on the iPad. Yeah. Um, well, that iPad did tell all. I want to get to that in one second. Let me just jump in, interact and re respond to something you said. When someone's in that gray area though, of potentially being overrated or just a few years ago when we're like, is Cotto really actually a Hall of Famer? Like, really? I think you have to lean on intangibles in that sense. And my intangibles for Cotto are all positives. Always willing to fight anyone, right? Like, you don't remember a time outside of when he had the middleweight belt and was, yeah, I was gonna but say, he was yeah, really honest. Look, with, 
That that under no, he shouldn't have ever he should never fight uh Triple G you know right. he, he, made, he was fairly he, he played honest that right. about it he was fairly honest you know being being like you know unless they're going to give me you know fifty million I'm not going to do that he fought everybody he turned himself into a star and he made fun fights and that has to matter for something right and he was uh he was a gentleman in the ring on top of that you know we give Vladimir Klitschko a lot of credit for that for being a steward of the sport Miguel Cotto certainly was that and now we go back to what you mentioned the career altering 2008 welterweight title fight against Antonio Margarito where if okay if it happened the way it happened Rafe then you have to have that debate of who could Cotto have been if he wasn't cheated out of out of that victory and the years that may have been taking off of his career. And two, if it did happen that way, if Margarito's gloves were really loaded, which I, I, I got to be honest, I fully believe that they were by the evidence I've seen by looking at that iPad, no, but by, by seeing the evidence as a whole, then you have to give Cotto credit for reinvention, right? For yes. going back to slick boxing under Pedro Diaz as a junior middleweight and then for that secondary reinvention under Freddie Roach as a left-hooking middleweight. So let me go back to that first question. If that's true, how much do you think actually was robbed from Cotto at that point in his career when 2008, welterweight Cotto, I'm like, fight Floyd. This is the fight that we need. Like, this is it. A lot, a lot was, uh, you know, whether, you know, the, the a lot was taken from him in that fight. What, you know, like coming in, remember, remember when he beat, Shane Mosley, he looked amazing. 2011. I mean, that was that on that was that's his best victory. That, that was, was the regard. one where I was because I, I had been slow to to sort of accept that Cotto was as good as the hype said he was. You know, even though he was running through these guys at 140, you know, stops pa- Paulie Malinaji, you know, say you know whatever. He broke his um, face, bro. And as as Roy said, you got to be powerful <laughs> to break somebody's yeah, eye socket. You got to you break two eye sockets, one jaw. Um, no. Anyway, um, you know, but yeah, when he, when he came out and just clearly, you know, it was a, it was a competitive fight, but when he came out and clearly defeated Shane Mosley, who was, you know, still very good, um, you know, and, and himself went on to fight on, you know, a lot further, you know, a lot longer at a high level than we kind of expected, um, you know, to fight that well against Mosley, that, that was like, no, this guy, you can't really take any credit away from him. He is that good. And, and if you want to look at the, how he, how good he was in the first, seven rounds, eight rounds of the Margarito fight, that was a virtuoso performance. I mean, like, look, it isn't hard to move and outbox Antonio Margarito like that. that that's not, you know, the the highest uh, level of achievement. Um, but shoot, did he look good? like the combinations he was he was tagging him with early in that fight. Now, you know, obviously the fight turned, um, but Cotto looked that good. He looked like he was the guy to fight Floyd and probably was the kind of guy that Floyd would retire to not fight. Um, wow, that's know. a Rafe Bartholomew exclusive right there. I mean, look, he was a left hooker from hell. He went to the body. Like, that's the kind of thing that I thought back then, that's the type of guy who could slow Floyd and, down. And if you say that Floyd, you know, has always been a, 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 a genius, not only in the ring, but at knowing who's going to give him tough fights when – the idea that Cotto came back and fought Floyd that, yes. that to a, a very very tough fight, what five years later? You got to give six him so years much later. credit for that. It's uh, 2012. You know, two thousand eight could have been a very you know a, a even tougher fight if, if if things didn't play out quite as they were. So yeah, I think that 
that turn in history really, really, you know, in the Margarito fight, um, was, was something that really changed you. It's, it's a huge what if. It is a huge what if. And you really have to give him credit again for that Floyd fight in 2012 when even though he had run off three straight victories as a junior middleweight, reinvented himself as a boxer going back to his roots, he was looking like a guy who we thought when he finally goes in there, you know, against real talent or a big puncher, Floyd's not a big puncher, but you know, he was going to be in trouble. And he came in there and he didn't do it by left hook into the body against Floyd. He did it by boxing. And I don't think Floyd mm-hmm. was prepared for how good of a boxer that Cotto actually is. And it reminded us of how great he is even in defeat right there. That like, yeah, he got damaged against Margarito. He certainly wasn't the same in the follow-up fights against Claudia and Pacquiao. And that's a couple year window there that he lost. But man, when he needed to be that good against Floyd, and I know that was Floyd one month away from going to jail, but that's still prime Floyd there. He may have, maybe other fighters came closer against Floyd, right? Like Castillo, like my, uh, like, uh, Castillo, Maidana, Maidana. Cool, you know. But I don't know if anyone fought better than Cotto did for that window, right? Like he tired mm-hmm. late. He got beat up pretty bad in those last couple rounds, but you give him that credit. So it's interesting, Rafe. This was an era of top level welterweights. And what could he have been going through that stretch of 08, 09 had he not been physically compromised that much because look he was gun shy for a couple fights i mean i don't think he would have gotten in that war against claudia if he hadn't been wounded badly against margarito just two fights earlier yeah no he you saw him go through you know something that i most i i think you know we don't know but it's fair i think it's probably fair to say almost any other fighter would not have come through that as well as he did and it, it still wasn't pretty all the time there were some ugly moments you know he was never the same guy again but the guy he came back as or the, the different versions he came back as, I don't know, I think are a, a very impressive achievement, even if, you know, it wasn't like in to ju- just in terms of wins and losses, being a truly elite fighter, you know, you, you, he still the, those comebacks, whatever, you know, the, whatever Cotto showed and, and needed to gather to, to do that to, to and continue fighting and having a really, really good career. After what he after what he went through in the ring, that's something um, you you don't see often, and and it's something you can't really compare to other achievements in boxing because no one has really ever had to do that. And his, um, his career is so weird because of that. You, you you mentioned the word polarizing. It's that whole Margarito incident is polarizing enough, and the impact of it, and even what I said, I said that when it comes down to a gray area, I got to lean on Cotto's positive intangibles. But it's a gray area because you can pick apart his resume. Even his reinvention at 154, he beat a one-legged Yuri Foreman. He beat there was nothing old, there. He beat an old Mayorga who was up early in that fight, and then he beat Mayor, Mar- Margarito in the 2011 rematch who was washed from the eye injury against Pacquiao. And then after losing to Floyd, after losing to Austin Trout in a fight he did not look good in down the stretch, he reinvents himself at middleweight. And again, you can pick apart that resume. So let's get into that resume real quick, Rafe. The Sergio Martinez victory is always going to be remembered for Sergio being a one-legged fighter. That's just the way it played out. Sergio should not have been in that fight. It's his fault. Uh, it's for taking. The, we don't cre- we don't discredit Sergio, sexy Sergio, because we love him. But he should not have accepted that fight, knowing his physical state. How much does that take away from what Cotto did in middleweight? Be honest. I lots. I don't. Cotto didn't do anything in middleweight. I don't care. Like beating Wash Gill. 
I don't, I mean, that's fun. Look, any, anytime you can get washed keel in the ring and entertain me with that, like, that's cool. I'm down with that. Um, but it, it you know, uh, again, like the, 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 the stretches of, of Kodo's career that, that I find, I think are the most meaningful are the earlier ones, you know, and, and I, it is, it is impressive that he found ways to kind of use his star power and, you know, his remaining abilities in the ring to, to extend that career at many different weights and keep sort of while being opportunistic opportunistic uh you know figure out ways to keep being successful and then and then when it came time to pay the piper you know he got in the ring with canelo you know he went yeah. in, now maybe it's not getting in the ring with triple g but he got in the ring with a guy who we now see is pretty darn close to triple g um you I'm know still, maybe not at that time but you know still at talent level close i'm still um, sore that he know. didn't throw the left hook in that fight though and i'll say that to my grave I, I look. I, I didn't like the fight. He, you know, I didn't like his strategy. I thought he he danced too much. He didn't commit. He didn't really test Canelo. Um, but maybe if he tested Canelo, he got he gets knocked out. Maybe he's smarter than us, and he does realize that. I said mostly. I thought it's his best victory because that's a aging Mosley at welterweight, but still a guy who's who's basically at the elite level. But my favorite victory, Rafe, is 2005. Ricardo Torres, of course. taxi cab driver from Colombia who was like 28-0 with 28 KOs and no one knew about him. And Cotto tastes the canvas. He tastes legitimate trouble. And in Atlantic City, he had almost a Gotti-like comeback. Is is there a better fight to look back on to, to see the essence of who true Cotto in his prime really was? Well, I mean, you could argue that the essence of true prime Cotto was probably probably a more dominant fighter than that. Didn't need to go through so much uh Well, you know, I say trouble. essence because let me just say this one word. Cotto, for being a top-level star and always up there among the pound-for-pound -pound guys, was vulnerable. And what yes. made him vulnerable made him fun and entertaining. So you can't look past that label. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, that, and that was sort of that. I think that's sort of what made him polarizing is that while he was having this success, you could always – your eye test always told you, wait a minute, this guy is not quite as good as – Floyd or as these, uh, you know, as these, these other fighters in the, and when Manny came up, you know, uh, he, you, your eye test always said, I don't trust this guy. He's not that good. You know, he's, it's, it's hype. You know, it's just that, you know, the, the crowd in MSG loves him on the Puerto Rican, you know, uh, parade weekend, you know, Puerto Rican independence weekend. Like it was, there was, you know, so there's always that. I don't mean a lot of us boxing fans, we have a reflexive, uh, desire to, to, to overthrow the hype train. You know, it's fun. Um, but he, he proved it, you know, time and time again. Uh, you know, the 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 the, the Mosley fight was the one that really proved it to me. Um, and then he figured out ways to reinvent himself after going through some, the, the you know, a, a insane career trauma. No question about it. So as Cotto enters this career finale. Look, this is what we do when we're boxing journalist nerds who try to put everything into context. If this modern era, in my mind, is the the post Roy Jones Lennox Lewis era. So it's the mm -hmm. Floyd Mayweather era. Where does Cotto fit in on the greatest of this era in your eyes? Um, greatest of this era, and this is a, all altogether not just best fighter in the ring, but uh, yeah. best you know career. Blah blah Bring blah. Bring it all together. Bring it all home for me. I'll go Floyd, Manny, Marquez, Cotto. Wow, you slipped you slipped Marquez in them DMs right there. I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking. I think he I think he did enough. I mean, he wasn't quite the star, obviously, but it, you know, he's. 
I, and that's a, you can, you can, you can flip him. You know, he obviously did not have the star power, but man, I, I, I got, I put him above. I was ho- wondering if you were going to get a little jumpy and put Canelo in since he beat Cotto a little bit too early. I, I almost sure. think he's another era though. I mean, no, our... that's a good point. I wasn't sure if you were going to try to get like hipstery and put like, I don't know, like, uh, Chocolatito or Yvonne Calderon and get totally like lame with me, like people's Hall of Fame ballots on Twitter. Yeah, I watch, I see those pictures. I see what's going on. Uh, yeah, all right, Rafe. So we definitely want to honor Miguel Cotto. We respect him. He's polarized, but we respect his career, but we also respect box, Rafe. And that's yes, the bottom we line. We, the fans love it when we're cruising together with them, when they can sing along to our, uh, the, the album we've been working on, you know, uh. Now that's what I call box volume 17. <laughs> exactly what it's called. So let's leave here today with a, a nice little tribute to the great Miguel Cotto in a song that we call Rafe respect box. Oh, yeah. Feeling that third person, Miguel Cotto, is here. Respect box. Respect, respect box. And nobody got a respect, respect box. Respect, respect box. box. Respect, respect box. box. And Mr. Nuts wanna... is gone and in the ring. Miguel Cotto, you're going to end your career, so we must say goodbye to your pink underwear. You were once a left hook body to the master. Until Tony and Marks wronged you with Parasoplaster. Yeah, here's an op-ed to show he probably had no guts. But it's a good thing you came back bouncing around like Mr. Nuts. When Uncle Evangelista threw a brick through your car, we knew how you feel and you got revenge by knocking out Wash Deal. And now as you walk away after beating Saddam Ali, you enter the Puerto Rico pantheon of the legends. Roll call! Benitez, Fox. Camacho, Respect Fox, Trinidad, Respect Fox, Juanma, Respect Fox, Gomez, Rosario, Verdejo, Respect Fox, Jose Miguel, Seenstrom, Rocky Martinez, Respect, Respect, Brian Perez's neck, No Respect, Mick Joe Arroyo, Cardo, Barriqua, we shouted out the great Miguel Cotto on his final day in office this Saturday against Saddam Ali, a polarizing individual, but brought us so much entertainment. Rafe, you're a big fan of his family. You're a big fan of the goods that Melissa Cotto has given us through the years. Well, of course, it goes without saying, but, you know, the Cotto children are not to be slept on. I mean, they, uh, you know, they came in with their own fashion, their own ways of, of seeing the world and, uh, and kind of opened up our minds too, I think. Uh, it's, it's been a, I mean, the, the entire Cotto experience has been a lot of fun, a lot of great boxing, a lot of great fights. You know, I gotta give, tip our hat, tip our hats to him. The guy, the man deserves all the credit he's getting right now. So, Rafe, this will do it for another episode of In This Corner and the end of Miguel Cotto's career. And like Miguel did on the All Access, the great All Access episode, the postscript of Austin Trout, when he sat in Melissa Cotto's arms and he said, uh, essentially, I don't know what else to do. This is what? Like, this is all I got. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is what I've spent my whole life doing. And this is this is all I can do for as long as I can do it. And he teared up, and now we tear up as he walks away for good, Rafe. On the way out here, people can still purchase that fine book ahead of the holiday season, correct? 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, coming up on the holidays, um, two and two, McSorley's My Dad and Me, book about my father's career, one of the oldest bars in New York. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, saving it for the holidays, please do. Um, and coming out of the Thanksgiving weekend, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Um, you know, it's uh, you got to respect Box, respect Miguel Cotto. And it's a good thing, like, you know, like Roy said, that he didn't get in there with Triple G when all said and done. You know, I thought Triple G was getting in that ass. I mean, it's, it's a fair it's a fair point. Anyway, well, put that book in your stocking this holiday season. And a shout out to the great Roy Jones for giving us his time this week. The boxeo has concluded. Rafe, do you have any words for the people as we walk away? A teary-eyed Jim Lampley version. We out.